What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast. My name is Kevin Valentin. And I'm the other host of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabra. Kev, we are back. I know we talked about, I don't know, if it was maybe like a week and a half ago where content would be a little bit more sporadic. I guess that's yeah. kind of lived up to its to its actual word. But we are back. Bit. And uh, we got some topics to go over today. So um, it's going to be a relatively short episode compared to what we typically do throughout most of the year. But uh, Kev, lay it on the table. What do we got for today? Yeah, super brief agenda, guys. Um, we're going to just talk quickly about the NBA Summer League. There have been a lot of narratives that have been looming between Victor Weminyama getting shut down after two games, having one bad game, one good game. Brandon Miller's been struggling, and a, a number of players have been having super big performances. And we want to talk about the narrative of what Summer League has brought to a lot of these up-and-coming prospects and up-and-coming draft choices in the NBA. And is it worth it? Is the truth, or should I say, is the hype real? Just going to give our thoughts on that. And speaking of Victor Wimanyama, like we said, we want to talk a little bit about how he performed in those two games, specifically with him being the number one overall pick from this year's draft. Kyle and I are going to give our concerns, our pros as to what we saw in the two games that he participated in, and our thoughts on him getting shut down for the rest of the Summer League performance, or should I say the Summer League tournament, whatever the case may be. Then we're going to go into some NBA, excuse me, MLB topics. The Yankees, as per usual, tend to be trending. We're struggling right now. The Yankees have a lot of injuries going on, including Aaron Judge, and his timeline for his toe injury is still looming in the air as to when he's going to come back. But of course, in typical Yankee fashion, we are attached to some of the big marquee names with the trade deadline approaching. Shohei Otani supposedly is in the Yankees' peripheral vision, should I say. He's just kind of like looming in front of us in terms of us making a run to obtain him, or should I say acquire him, at the trade deadline. Of course, there are going to be other teams that are involved, like the Rangers, like the Rays, and others, but supposedly Buster only said that we are the favorites, you know, if we potentially were to chase him. I don't know what we'd end up giving up. I know that he's due up for a big contract extension this offseason. I don't know if Hal and Cashman are going to want to do that. They didn't want to give it to Bryce Harper. They didn't want to give it to Nolan Arenado a few years back. Why would they give it to a 28-year-old dual position player who's a pitcher and a DH? I'm kind of conflicted. I want the Yankees to win, but the money we're going to have to dish out to do so is going to be a little bit overwhelming. And then we're going to talk about the St. Louis Cardinals. They were a playoff team last year. They were a team that was favored to at least make a somewhat consistent run last year to go out and make, I don't know, maybe an NLCS, maybe an NLDS good performance, and they fell short. And this year, they were looking to run it back, minus Albert Pujols and Yadier Molina, two future Hall of Famers. But with the roster that they have assimilated between Arenado and obviously between Paul Goldschmidt, you look and you say there's no way that they are playing this bad in the NL Central. And they're actually in last place. So we're going to talk about the demise of the Cardinals this year, the falling off, should I say, because their GM has publicly stated we are going to be sellers at the deadline coming up. So it looks like the Cardinals are headed for a full rebuild. So that's what we're going to talk about today, guys. Two in the NBA, two in the MLB. I do apologize for the mess behind me ahead of time. I'm doing some summer cleaning, just trying to get some stuff out. So excuse the junk and stuff behind me. I do apologize. I'll get that fixed up in a few weeks. But Kyle, we've, we're back in the booth, man. Got a couple things to talk about. So let's just... Let's dive right into the NBA, bro. Yeah, and you know, as of right now, obviously, you know, the offseason is going on, but we still have the summer league going on. So, I mean, if you guys have been paying attention or if you guys don't even really know what the summer league is, it's it's pretty uh, short and explanatory. This is basically 
our first look of the up and coming talent within the NBA. Now we have seen some of this year's draft picks like Victor Wembanyama, Brandon Miller, be able to hit the court and show what they're capable of so far. Now, granted, they are rookies. They haven't even started their rookie season yet, but at least this gives us a first glimpse into what they could bring to the table for their respective teams going into this upcoming year. And it also gives opportunities like guys who have been on the G League or if they've been on the bench for an actual NBA team, this gives them ample time and ample burn on some sort of competitive level in an NBA sphere where they could be able to showcase their skills. And we have seen players really play spectacular throughout the summer league so far. I mean, one in particular for somebody that actually did uh, play pretty solid minutes within the NBA last year, but is still getting um, summertime minutes throughout, I would say, the month of July so far was, um, was it Keegan Murray, Kev? Keegan the, Murray uh, of the Kings. Sacramento Kings dropped 41 points in a summer league game uh, just a couple of days ago. I believe the Kings were playing the Heat in that game, if I remember correctly. And uh, Keegan Murray was one of the, I would say, one of the, the biggest factors for Sacramento, uh, especially behind the three-point line when they were making their playoff run last year uh, before they eventually fell to the Golden State Warriors in the playoffs. But... You know, Kev, just to kind of kick this one to your way, when you look at the summer league going on right now, just give me your thoughts on what this year's summer league has brought to the table and what do you think uh, can transpire with these guys that have been playing in the summer league so far when we actually get into the NBA season within the next couple of months or so? Well, I, to me, the summer league has always been kind of like an extended combine, almost like a an official tryout for NBA teams. Yes, some of these players have been drafted, like Victor and Brandon and Scoot and all a number of other players. Yes, some of them have been on two-way deals and in and out of the G League, but it also gives people an opportunity to get an invitation from overseas, people playing in different locations, people that haven't been able to get a shot. This is legitimately an extended tryout. At least that's what I've interpreted it as. But like Kyle said, it's also a showcase to look at some of the top draft choices and see how they perform under the summer lights because you can't say the bright lights but it, it gives them a chance to compete against other people at their skill level at their actual um at their actual competitive level as well and a lot of times again this is just what i think people read too much into the headlines of what summer league is and what it has been over the last couple of seasons now i'm going to start with victor Victor had a game just a week ago, if not a couple days ago, where he had nine points. He was like two of 13 from the field, had a bunch of turnovers, had a couple bad highlights where he was getting stripped. He was getting uh, bullied down low. And then he pops off the next game for like 27 points. Narratives were circulating. Is Victor worth the number one overall pick? Is this going to translate in the NBA? Is he going to be able to be physical with some of the bigger bigs? Is he going to be able to stay healthy? Yada, yada, yada. Then you have Brandon Miller back-to-back -back games where he had six-plus turnovers. I believe he had 15 or 16 turnovers in his first two games, and he had about, I don't know, 10 or 12 fouls because in the NBA Summer League, you get 10 fouls instead of six. He just undisciplined, turnover central, bad shot selection. I mean, you name it, Brandon Miller looked horrible. And the narratives looming around him were even worse than Victor because he had played every Summer League game, and it looked to be getting worse and worse and worse up until his most recent game where I believe he had 24, 25 points. He actually shot efficient from the field, and he was able to stay a little bit more disciplined. What I'm getting at here is people are always going to overhype and overshoot, or should I just say they're, they're reaching for headlines. 
just because you perform poorly in the summer league or perform high, that doesn't necessarily mean that is going to translate into an official NBA roster spot. If you're going to get minutes, if you're even going to get signed. And if you do, outside of these people that signed guaranteed contracts like Scoot and Brandon and Victor, there's no guarantee you're even going to be in the rotation. I mean, for the Mavs, we have a couple of players that are consistently up and down in the G League, assigned to our affiliate Texas Legends that are in the Summer League consistently, but they don't get any burn. They're the 15th or 14th man on the bench. So you have to look at it with a grain of salt. You have a bad performance. That doesn't mean you're a bust. You have a great performance. That doesn't mean you're going to be an NBA All-Star. We started with Keegan Murray because he actually started a lot of games for the Kings last year. He actually played meaningful minutes in their playoff run. And that goes to show he is levels ahead of what people are on in the summer league because he's played at NBA speed. He's played a full season. He's got good minutes. He's got good experience. He's practicing against some of the better players in the league with De'Aaron Fox, Sabonis, and so many other players that are experienced. But for players like Victor and all these other draft picks, this is their shot to show they could at least be relevant to an extent. And then you have players, right? Certain names that are on this list. I actually pulled some of the top performers in the Summer League thus far. Keontae George is somebody who got drafted this year. He's averaging 29.5 points per game with 8.5 assists. That's not someone that people thought would actually pop off in the Summer League. A talented prospect nonetheless. But again, you don't expect his name to be at the top. Then you go out and you go continue to go down. Orlando Robinson. You have Colin Castiglione, Xavier Moon, Jay... Javon Freeman-Liberty, Jabari Smith of the Houston Rockets, Brandon Williams, Max Christie, Isaiah Jackson, a bunch of people like normal casual NBA fans have never heard of. And they're having great performances on a consistent basis. But that doesn't translate in the league. All I'm saying is, without sounding repetitive, is let's pump the brakes before we stone somebody or praise them when they haven't stepped on an official NBA court and played official NBA talent. Draymond Green said it best when Victor made his comments, which we'll talk about in a second, but just to give you a preview, Victor had stated that the NBA is not as physical as it is in Europe. Draymond had said, how can you say that you haven't played an NBA official minute and you don't know what it's like to be physical? So we'll leave it at that. The NBA Summer League is entertaining to watch if you're into the prospects and into the people that are coming up to get roster spots and compete. But from an overall statistical standpoint, let's not let some of these high stat lines and box scores oversee and overshadow that some of these teams may not even pick these guys' contracts up. So I think we need to just chill out with the Summer League hype and or Summer League teardown. These kids got a lot to prove, and we still have plenty of time before the season starts. And I think when it comes to me, when it comes to how I see the summer league, it's pretty similar to how you look at it, Kev. I mean, the way that I look at it is this is an opportunity for these guys to showcase their skills and especially give these up and coming players at least a look of what could potentially be in their future, whether that's potentially playing for the G League in this upcoming year, or if their skills are to the point where they exceed expectations, you know, maybe they could be able to land a roster spot on an actual NBA team instead of just hanging around uh, the G League circuit. So for me, I love the fact that these guys are getting solid burn for what? How long is the summer league typically? Two, three two weeks? weeks? Two, three weeks? Yeah, I don't think it's more than a month. I know the uh, the final for the summer league is on Monday, so... 
Yeah, they so it's got to be more. two and a half weeks at most. Yeah, at the most. But no, I think it's a great opportunity. I think it's a great opportunity for these guys uh, to showcase what they have. And you know, Kev, you pretty much hit the nail on the head when it comes to the specific players that I was going to bring up. But when it comes to the players that were drafted this year, especially the ones that went within like the first couple of picks, you know, Victor's definitely one, Brandon and Scoot. You know, those guys are going to get legitimate minutes going into this upcoming year. And even if they were to have, like, let's say hypothetically, all three of those guys that I just mentioned, they did not play well in the summer league. That doesn't necessarily mean that that bad style of play is going to transition into the NBA. So we'll kind of see how they develop in their own right. But to me, you know, I mentioned the name earlier uh, before uh, you dove in with the analysis. Uh, you know, when you look at somebody like Keegan Murray, who got ample playing time last year with the Sacramento Kings, and really, to me, kind of showed out in the playoffs with how effective he was behind the three-point line, and then he walks into a summer league game and drops 41 points. That gives some that that. It also shows the level of experience that just a couple of NBA games can bring to the table compared to guys that have not had that experience yet. You know, when you we look at these guys that are just coming into the fold, they're, they're either coming from college or they're coming from an international circuit with Victor in particular coming from France. The level of competition is slightly different, but when you look at what Keegan was able to bring to the table in one summer league game with NBA experience behind him, there's a gap. There's a gap in just the level of effectiveness when it comes to someone like him compared to someone like Victor who just hasn't had the burn, especially within the NBA circuit. I mean, this is technically the NBA circuit just because, you know, it is NBA affiliated, but it's like a pseudo NBA circuit just because you're not really going up against top tier talent when you look at the actual NBA. It's not like these guys are going up against like Damian Lillard, James Harden, Joel Embiid, and Nikola Jokic right now. So it's a good, Kev, the way that I can put it is like, it's like putting your foot in the water. That's kind of how I look at it when it comes to these guys. And yeah, you know, some of these guys may perform really well in the summer league and it could transition into the NBA. Hopefully it does in that case. I mean, even if it weren't really to work out well in the summer league, you know, you roll with the punches, you, you brush the dirt off your shoulder, and then you just grind in the gym and you train throughout the rest of the summer. And then when training camp starts rolling around, uh, once we get into the fall, you know, then you could try to make some strides to eventually either make a good G League appearance or, you know, you try to get to an NBA roster as a, as a, as a depth position person or player. So to me, I love the fact that these guys are getting good minutes right now, especially, you know, th this is a step above just, every day just hitting the gym and training. They're actually getting good minutes. And we'll kind of see a play out from here. Obviously, like I said, the uh, the summer league will wrap up on Monday when they play the final. I don't know who's going to play in it. Uh, that will be dictated uh, over the next couple of days or so. But nonetheless, uh, I got no issue with the summer league. I think it's very good for these guys to get the opportunities that they're getting, and hopefully they make the most of it. It's so, going to be interesting to see yeah. how these players pan out, right? Again, I find it just so comical that in today's era, right? We're playing it. We're playing in. Uh, we're playing in a media-driven world, right? Somebody has one bad play if they get dunked on, or if they lose the. 
the narratives that the, all these media outlets, oh, so-and-so gets ripped. Is he ready for the NBA? Or so-and-so gets dunked on. Is he ready to take that next step? It's too quick. It's people it's being extra, league. too. It's people being yeah, it's, extra it's, and trying to start something. They're just they're fishing for narratives. They're fishing for headlines. And I'm not saying that Sports Center and Hoops Central and like Legion Hoops, they're not credible places to look for information. But it's like Kyle and I said it to start the episode. There's not a lot of content right now for specific pages. So you, you got to make something out of nothing. Yeah. And this is where it transitions into our next topic with the number one overall pick from this year's draft in Victor Weminyama. Kyle and I have said this for a number of weeks, if not months, leading up to the draft with our concerns about Victor. And again, like I just said, not to sound like a hypocrite, he needs more time to develop. He needs actual minutes in an NBA game along with his real teammates because we all know that Victor is going to be a day one starter. He's not going to compete for a roster spot. This is someone that is insert play now. You're not a number one overall pick and you don't get minutes immediately. So Kyle, to kick this question over to you, with Victor only playing two games, one of them looking completely lost per his direct quote, and the second one, he looked like he had some potential. He looked like somebody that was ready to take that next step. What are your thoughts on Victor's performance in his two summer league games? I mean, to me, it was a mixed bag. The first game obviously was not his best performance. And he even said so as much, saying, you know, I was just out there not really knowing what I was doing, which, I mean, if you want to say that publicly, that's fine. I didn't really take that as like a bad thing to say. I mean, the guy's getting his first burn within the NBA circuit, and it's a summer league game. This isn't like the first NBA game, and he's still out there saying, I don't know what I'm doing. I think to me, you take it with a grain of salt, and you move on from it. You know, the performance is what it is. It wasn't his best game overall, but then he steps up in the second game, and to me, played a relatively solid game in his second performance. And overall, when you look at his summer league performances, he had, he had 36 points, 20 rebounds, eight blocks and three assists, and he shot 41% from the floor. So, you know, if you look at that, he's averaging 18, 18, 18 points, uh, 10 rebounds, and four blocks. Those are not horrendous stats for the number one pick from this year's draft. So would I like to see him play a little bit more? Sure. But I think San Antonio, when it comes to just from a Spurs perspective, they probably saw enough. They wanted to see him play and get a chance to play against, I would say, G League or maybe kind of like low-end NBA talent. And he was able to do that pretty effectively in that second game. The, the first game, as far as I see, it was an aberration. And then I think he really made up for it in the second game. So when it comes to Victor, to me, this kind of goes without saying, just from watching uh, some of his performances. I mean, the kid can play. There, there's no doubt about that. You know, even the fact that he is seven five, seven six. I mean, the dude is just a lanky. It's just a lengthy dude. But one of the things that really concerns me about Victor is his health moving forward, because when it comes to some of these summer league games that we watched with him, okay, I'm not gonna lie, he was getting bullied in some of these one on one matchups down low in the in the post, and these are summer league players that he's going up against. When we get to an actual NBA season where he's going up against guys like Giannis, Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, this could be an issue. And San Antonio may have to adjust their system with him to maybe 
not get him in a vulnerable position where he could just get absolutely bullied on the post. Because if you guys just look at a picture of Victor, Kev, he doesn't really have like that strong of a muscular system. He's very skinny for his size. And I imagine as time goes along within his NBA career, he will be able to build up some muscle. But the injury thing is a real concern of mine. Some of these guys that are this tall, Kev, they don't necessarily last in the NBA. And even if they do, they're not as effective as we kind of hope them to be. Now, when it comes to Victor, there's definitely been a lot of hype, especially from what we've seen in the European circuit uh, before he ended up being drafted by the Spurs, playing in France. But playing in France is a different situation than playing in the NBA. Granted, he has stated that when it comes to the NBA, that it's less physical, even though that I think that it's a little out of context because he hasn't actually experienced an NBA game yet. I think he'll get a rude awakening when it comes to his first NBA game when he actually experiences it. I think the one thing that he will have to adjust to is the overall athleticism that comes with the NBA because it he may be right in one sense that the NBA isn't as physical as it used to be. And when you compare the NBA to some other basketball circuits outside of the United States, it could be more physical in an international sense compared to what it is with the NBA. But the level of athleticism within the NBA, I think, is superior to every other league around the world. So when it comes to Victor, as long as Victor is able to remain relatively healthy, and if he improves his athleticism over the next couple of years, because this is going to be a development process with him. This is not going to be where he hits the court on the first day as a rookie for the Spurs, and he's just going to take over the league. I don't think that's going to happen. But I think as long as he makes slow but steady strides, I think he could be a pretty solid player in the NBA. It's just the one thing that really worries me about him is the potential of injury with him. I, the fact that he's just not really well built when it comes to his overall muscle uh, structure, that concerns me. And if he has a tendency to get hurt here and there and miss time in the NBA, that could be a consistent trend throughout his career. Hopefully that's not the case. I, I want to be able to see him play at an extremely high level. I want him to you know, potentially be one of the best players that the NBA has to offer. I think that he has that ceiling. It's just, I'm not sold on him being that yet. And it, it has nothing to do with his skill set. It's the potential of injury. And honestly, that's kind of how I look at Victor at this point. Hopefully I'm wrong. And, I, and I'll and i just say this flat out. Hopefully I want to be wrong in this case. You know, I want him to play really well in the NBA and do what he needs to do. But, at this point, he had a pretty solid summer league uh, start just based off of the two games that we've seen, but it's a very small sample size, so take it for what it's worth. I mean, 18 points, 10 rebounds a game, and four blocks, that's pretty solid. It's a good start. It's better than some other players that we've seen that have gotten drafted in this year's draft class, and we'll see how he transitions from this little summer league stint that he had with the two games going into next year with the Spurs, but all in all, I think the Spurs got what they needed to see out of him. And I think just from a Spurs perspective, a Spurs perspective, excuse me, I think that they could look back at this little sin that he had as, as a success so far. 
I mean, I don't have much to add, so no reason to lock it in on just me. I agree with what Kyle said in complete wholeheartedness. It's it's more so of Victor has to learn how to play at an NBA level. There were some decisions in that first game to where he had that one-legged three-point pull-up. There was another instance to where he was dribbling too much, tried to fade away in a jump shot, highly contested. It went in, but it's just in an NBA game with Greg Popovich as your head coach, you have to know that's not going to happen. You're not going to have the freedom and the kind of like the, 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 the go, the green light, should I say, excuse me, like some of these superstars have in these teams, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, like players that could do whatever they want on certain teams, and they're not going to get questions by their head coaches. They may get looks, but when you're a, a Hall of Famer, a multiple-time champion, like some of these people are in the NBA right now, you're allowed to do certain things. Victor's got to know it's going to be a specific system in San Antonio. He's not going to be able to bring the ball up like he did in France. He's not going to be able to shoot over whoever he wants or pull one-legged fadeaway three-pointers like he did in France. There are, like Kyle said earlier, levels to the league. Victor showed enough for San Antonio to say, you know what, we got to keep you healthy. You did what you needed to do. You played two games. You gave the media what they needed too because Summer League is a media thing too. It's a, it's a Let's make sure that we're getting views, making money, because you don't want to lose anything. The number one overall pick has to play. Unless he's hurt, he has to play. Mm -hmm. So for what I saw from Victor, he had that really, really bad game where I was like, oh, man, he's going to struggle. And I wasn't saying it like a casual fan. I was saying it like, oh, if he doesn't change this up quick, Popovich is going to have his ass. Then he actually played a good game the next game, and San Antonio was like, you know what? We're good with this. We've seen enough. He's fine. And they're moving on. Summer League ends on Monday. Training camp doesn't start until September, October, whenever that is. He's got time to put on some weight, work on the fundamentals, and make sure that he is getting good actual minutes and reps with his teammates because he's got to get on the floor, and he's going to be a day one starter. He's going to start at the center, and he's got to understand there are certain things you cannot do in the NBA. That's all I'm going to say on Victor because, truthfully and honestly, at LaCosta, I want the kid to succeed. Granted, I am a Dallas Mavericks fan, so I will always have... Not a hatred for the Spurs, but a little bit of animosity, some competitive edge to where I'm like, you know what, I kind of want him to suck so we don't struggle anymore. But again, for what he brings to the table, another international star, I want him to do good. And to final point, actually, Lucas said a few years ago when he got drafted, the NBA is easier than in Europe, mm -hmm. but he had to make an adjustment. And he's still making an adjustment because all he does is complain. I'm hoping that Victor doesn't end up that way too, to where he's expecting calls because he's so big. He's going to get all that contact and he's going to get hit and whacked. And I'm just hoping he doesn't become a diva like Luca does, like Luca is. So I wish nothing but the best for Victor, but I know we got to get on some other topics. So switching so gears. Yeah, we're actually going to transition into some MLB topics. And I know this does not give Kev great joy to talk about the Yankees because the Yankees have been. Kev, how would you describe the Yankees this year? I mean, they haven't been great. They haven't been god-awful. They're kind Black of like Oscar. just... I would just say mid. They're just kind of mid this year. I know, granted, that they've had, they've had some injuries. Well, the injuries aside, it just, so, it just seems like the Yankees are always going to have injuries. We have the best pitcher in the American League in Garrett Cole. He's 9-2 with a sub-3 ERA. Great. And we have a top-3 bullpen in the MLB. And we don't even have Loisica back either. So it's like... We have good pieces. We don't have the remaining cast. Judge is hurt. Bader's been hurt multiple times. Stanton's been hurt. Donaldson's been hurt. IKF has been hurt. Like 
Rondon has just gotten back from the IL. He was hurt. Montez is hurt. Severino was hurt, and he's performing terribly. Like, when you name it, the Yankees have pretty much gone through it. And Aaron Boone, don't let me find you somewhere, bro. Oh, jeez. I just, huh. I will, I, I will let you save the uh, the Aaron Boone. How would another I describe day. this? Uh, the the criticism. I know I'd probably come up with a better word than criticism, but I know you have uh, plenty of thoughts about that guy running the Yankees from a uh, managerial perspective. But oh, uh, are terrible. But nonetheless, um, we are going to look at what the Yankees are potentially facing with right now, and there is some rumors coming out, and there's been some reports coming out that if Shohei Atani were to be traded uh, before the MLB trade deadline that the Yankees would be one of the front runners to potentially land him. Now, obviously, Kevin mentioned this uh, before uh, we started the episode, that they would have to probably give up a pretty decent package to get Otani, and with Otani expecting a pretty sizable contract uh, after this year. Rightfully so. Would the Yankees be willing to shell that up? Obviously, the trade hasn't happened yet. Buster only was talking about it on ESPN this morning about a potential Shohoi Atani trade. And he did mention some other teams outside of the Yankees to potentially go after him. But he did say that the Yankees were one of the front runners uh, to land Otani if he were to be traded. So Kev, to kick this one to you, what are your overall thoughts about Otani potentially being traded to the Yankees after Buster only reported on ESPN this morning that the Yankees would be one of the front runners to potentially land him if he were to be traded? The name itself carries weight. The numbers don't lie. Consistent pitcher, great hitter, lefty in Yankee Stadium. We all know statistically, once again, favors lefties, that short porch on right field. And then just overall, you're going to get a, a good baseball player. My problem with it is our farm system has been great over the last few years. Volpe's finally performing. We've had a couple of people come up through our pitching staff. We've had some in our, like Jason Dominguez, it's moving up to double A AA and triple A. We've had a lot of players, Floriel, and, and just so many more that truthfully and honestly, I, I look forward to getting some playing time over the next few years. We used to be a team that would sell the farm system. Everybody hated the evil empire Yankees of the mid to late 2000s. We were we were getting players like Burnett and CeCe, and we went out there and we signed A-Rod, and we went out there and we signed Teixeira, and, you know, like, we didn't care about the farm system. We were trading prospects left and right. Now we've kind of gone away from that, and we've got some homegrown talent. Yes, we traded for Stanton. Yes, we traded for Rizzo. Yes, we traded for Bader, but we're not out there signing people to super big mega deals. Aaron Judge is a homegrown talent. That's different. We paid somebody that came up through our system that was drafted by us. So people need to pump the brakes on the Yankees still doing that because we haven't done that in a while. But this would be a blockbuster splash because if we trade from this year, we're going to have to pay him next year or whatever the case may be with his contract. He's due up for a big payday, if I'm not mistaken, this coming offseason in November, December. The Yankees didn't want to pay Bryce Harper. The Yankees didn't want to pay Nolan Arenado. Nolan goes to St. Louis, and obviously Harper goes to the Phillies. Both of them have had pretty solid damn careers since that lack of a move that the Yankees did not make. Multiple gold gloves, great performances, all-star appearances. Both players have been really, really good. And you're telling me right now, 
you're going to go and trade for a player that's probably going to get upwards of 400 to $500 million in money, in guaranteed money, that's going to want upwards of 8 to 10 years of commitment that you weren't willing to give players that could have helped us win back then. I'm not saying that Otani can't help us right now. Not at all. But when you talk about the money that we are going to be shelling out to two players over the next 8 to 10 years between just Judge and Otani, we're talking almost a billion dollars. If Otani gets the max of what he's looking for, which reports have been circulating upwards of four, five hundred million, and Judge's three hundred some odd million dollar contract, that could potentially be seven hundred, eight hundred million dollars between two players. Yes, we're the Yankees. Yes, we'll pay the luxury tax. Yes, we're one of the richest, most wealthiest franchises in all of sports. I understand that. If we got to shell the money to win, fuck it, do it. But when it comes to what we're going to have to give up, farm system, players right now, money at the end of the season, I don't know if that's going to help us. Stanton's 34. Judge is 30, 31 years old. You know, like, I get it. We're in win-now mode. Cole is in his 30s. Like, we have to go out and capitalize while we can. But if it means we have to give up everything we've been building, personally, I don't know if that's going to benefit us in the long run. Yes, Otani would be a Yankee for the foreseeable future, as well as Judge. But when those other contracts expire and we have to re-sign players to compete, that championship window closes immediately. In my opinion, the Yankees have a four-year window before all these players get upwards in their high 30s. If Stanton's not gone by the end of next season, truthfully and honestly, that's a, that was a lost cause because he's been injured more than he's been relevant on the field. Aaron Judge just signed his extension. Unfortunately, he got hurt again. It's sad to say, but we knew it was going to happen at least once or twice. If, he, if we don't win while Judge is in his prime, that was a waste. We gave Cole all that money, who has been great this year, probably our best player this year, but in the postseason, he struggles. If we don't win while he's in his prime, it's a waste. We just gave Rondon a five, six-year contract. If we don't win while he's a Yankee, it's a waste of time. Otani would surpass all of them in an expected contract, and if we go and pay him all that and don't win, it's a massive waste. If we have an opportunity, the offer's not that bad. You know the Angels are going to ask for an arm and a leg, rightfully so. You're going to give up your second best player, if not your best player, because Mike Trout's been hurt a lot as well. The Angels are going to ask for multiple young prospects, probably some current players, as well as capital in the draft, maybe even more than that but the Yankees are going to have to shell out the money. Otani would help this roster tremendously, solidify a rotational spot, and give us a, a deadly hitter that we desperately need right now with this struggling offense. Yes, I know all the positives. I'm thinking future, because a lot of Yankee fans like to think narrow-sighted right here, right in the front, right in the first season, two-season window, and then three, four years down the road, oh, this contract was a waste of time, or God damn it, like we didn't even win, and all these players are leaving, and now they're old. It's the same thing every year. Hal has already showed he doesn't know what he's doing. Don't get me started on Cashman, and heaven forbid I even talk about Aaron Boone. The Yankees' front office has been very inept the last few seasons. If we were to go out and be massive hypocrites and go get Otani, I'm going to look at them differently for the rest of my life because we could have had some generational talents, solidified third base with Arenado, could have had a solid left fielder, right fielder in, uh, in Bryce, who's a great at-bat, and you're going to go just sign Otani because Otani is one of the hottest players in baseball. Different positions, different times, different cap space. I get it. 
I'm just having a hard time accepting what we're going to have to shell out to get. And if it doesn't pan out, this could go down as one of the worst moves the Yankees have ever made. You know what's kind of interesting about this? It, even if the Yankees were to trade for Otani, it would be very similar to what the Yankees... It's not an exact comparison, but it just kind of reminds me of it. It's similar to what they had with Alex Rodriguez uh, back in the middle two, middle 2000s. I think... Did the Yankees or end, five, whenever that yeah, was? Yeah, I think it was like 2004 where I think they brought him onto the roster. And... Um, you know, you're looking at Otani. Otani's what, 28 years old? Yep. I think Alex Rodriguez was around the same age when they acquired him. And at the time, Kev, what was the uh, contract that Alex Rodriguez signed with the Yankees? It was a 10 year deal. Year, 10 year like deal. Like 300 mil, like somewhere close high to high 200s, low 300s. And Hal had said, we're never, like mid contract, he was like, we're never doing this again. We're never committing to a player in the double digit years. Now, Judge got eight. But Hal said it. We don't want to do this again. So it would just be really weird. And I imagine, I'm just saying hypothetically, if the Yankees were to land Otani, and that's a big if. That doesn't mean that it's going to happen. Because the Angels haven't officially made him available yet. This is all pending if L.A. is shopping at the deadline. Yeah, so I do want to keep that in mind just so that we have that for context. So overall, to me, when it comes to Otani, just from a pure baseball perspective, Kev, he's one of the most dynamic players I've ever seen. Absolutely. Kev, he has like 32 home runs this year. He's one of the better pitchers in the MLB. And in a single game format, he can go out there and pitch seven innings, maybe give up three earned, and hit two home runs in a game. Actually, I think he did that uh, not too long ago before the All-Star break. I think he hit multiple home runs and was just absolutely pitching a gem at the same time. And they still lost 10-5 that game. Hey, sometimes you, nuts. sometimes you just you can't win them all. But when it comes to Otani, just from a pure athletic perspective, he, he's going to bring a lot to the table if the Yankees were to actually land him. And the way that I see with Otani this year, he's going to be the AL MVP this year. He's the clear, concise runaway favorite uh, for the MVP. And he deserves it. I mean, I remember last year, uh, really him and judge. judge were going back and forth. And people were making credible cases that Otani should have won the MVP last year in the AL, but you have Judge breaking the home run record in the AL, a record that had stood for, what, 50, 60 years. 61 years, which is ironic. I mean, look, Judge definitely deserved that MVP, but I think when it comes to Otani, just the versatility that he brings to the table for whatever team he may end up on if he actually gets traded, is second to none, really compared to anybody else in the MLB. Kev, I've always kind of looked at Otani as like a Swiss Army knife, where he's so versatile in whatever sort of capacity that you use him in, whether that's pitching, whether that's hitting. That's really like the best duo that you could ask for. And the fact that he pitches effectively and can just absolutely rake at the plate that's going to be a really enticing situation for whatever sort of team may entertain the possibility of bringing him onto the roster. And I think it just comes with the territory. Okay. What are you going to have to give up? If you trade for him, you're going to have to give up a pretty penny. You're going to have to give up a pretty decent amount of players in the process. And then potential uh, draft picks that come along the line uh, within the probably usually when it comes to draft picks, usually you're talking about what three to four years down the line. Yeah, but in baseball, dude, they trade like super young prospects. Like we're talking like yeah, 
people in A, like single A baseball, like some of their international up and coming players, they may trade like a top two or three prospect in like triple A right now. But like when yeah. it comes to baseball, like I've seen like laundry sheets of like players that are in and like even players to be named later, like baseball is like all player personnel and cash considerations. It's rare when draft capital is traded. Okay. So I mean, with that being said, if you were to look at it, I'll actually ask you this. What would be a trade proposal that you would put on the table for Otani if you were running the Yankees? It's tough because obviously, as much as I am a Yankee fan, I don't know every prospect. I know we have a lot of good ones, but it's a matter of they're going to want somebody on the roster right now that's going to be able to help them win. Somebody that plays for us, maybe a Glaber Torres to solidify the infield for them, maybe an outfielder that's been in and out of AAA for us, maybe a future prospect like an Austin Wells, our catcher. I don't know. It's more so of what does L.A. need? They're going to give up a big bat and a big pitcher. So they're going to need pitching in return, and they're definitely going to need somebody that's up and coming that potentially can rake. So in the Yankees farm system, I'm not familiar in depth as to what we have up and coming outside of a few names that I had listed earlier. It's just, are they going to ask for a bunch of little pieces and a few big pieces? Are they going to ask for a lot of big pieces and no little pieces? Are they going to ask for a lot of cash to be dumped off? I don't know. If it's me, dude, max players, depending on who they are, five players. Just because you're giving up a generational talent so you know you need to recoup something immediately. But if you shop Otani, do you shop Trout too? Because you're not going to give up one and the other and not, like, you're, you're rebuilding essentially. Mm -hmm. You're basically, you're, you're blowing up the team. The Angels have been a failure for the majority of Mike Trout's career, I think making the playoffs two times in his like 11 or 12-year career. They have been a wash. His career has been a waste because he's been loyal, signed his super mega deal, and he's been hurt. You get Otani when, he, when they were outbid, or should I say when they outbid everybody. I think they outbid Boston, New York, and another team. Chooses LA, kills it in the league, competes for an MVP arguably three times because he won one. He was in competition for it last year, and this year he's in the running again. So it's like you're getting a consistent slugger and pitcher, an all-time athlete. The Angels are not going to say, hey, give us your three best prospects and then call it a day. They're going to want longevity. They're going to want somebody that can help them compete now. They're going to want money. And again, it always comes down to are the Yankees going to go out there and pay him? If Judge is making $36 million a year, Otani is a little bit younger and plays both positions, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes out there and asks for 45 50 mil. I mean, Lindor right now for the Mets is making 42-43. Otani's a better baseball player than him right now, honestly and truthfully. Yeah, and when it comes to... Uh, take away the prospect side for a second. If you had to look at the Yankees' current roster right now, in just a hypothetical trade for Otani, who do you think would be like the first couple guys that could be considered for a trade? Glaber's been up and down. He leads the league in errors at a second base. I think he's at 9 or 10, but he's got a solid bat. He makes pitchers work, uh, but he's struggling lately. I don't know if it's his confidence. I don't know if it's the fact that Boone's not disciplining him enough, so there's some that might be a name we're willing to offload. Um, DJ LeMayhew is in the last year of his deal, if I'm not mistaken, so we might want that expiring contract out because he's also been hurt. Anthony Rizzo has not been the same since May, since his slight injury, I believe his calf or his knee. Um, he's been struggling mightily this year, although he is a great gold glover. 
At third base, obviously, you have a lot of inconsistencies with Josh Donaldson, but that contract, no one's going to want to eat. Kenner Falafa has been pretty good at the rotational position that he's been playing. I think he's played nine positions, including pitching and blowouts. So he's been a utility player. Um, Harrison Bader, I don't think we're going to trade just because when he's on the field, he is just too good, in my opinion. Um, Stanton, maybe they try to swing it for, hey, one big bat for one big bat. You know, his contract is expiring in a few years. Maybe take that off the plate, but I don't know if LA is going to want to trade a superstar for a not washed, but an injury-prone former all-star. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of players. There's there's Bowers. There's there's a lot. I just I don't know what Anaheim would want. I don't know what the, the Angels want from us. It regardless, it's going to be somebody starting, in my opinion, and prospects. Because there's no way you're just going to go for all future and then nobody that's going to help you win right now. And the pitching side of things, too, because with Otani, you're giving up the pitcher. I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe Severino goes because he's had, I think his ERA this year is like over six. Like he has just been atrocious this year. Uh, Herman is up and down. Like I said earlier, perfect game. Then he had a, a weird outing. Then he had a good outing. So it's like that might be somebody you sell high on. Obviously, you know, Montez is hurt, so you can't trade him. Uh, Rondon just got back. You're not trading him. Cole's untouchable, I would assume. So, like, literally, it's going to be an assortment of players. Maybe some bullpen players. Maybe Loisica goes. Maybe Clay Holmes goes. I don't know. There's a lot of moving pieces here. And until we actually start getting potential packages, I'm not going to go out there and make a prediction. Fair enough. But, you know, when it comes to somebody like Otani and just the name that he's he going to demand to the market. MLB, he's, that market is going to be pretty significant as far as I see it. And, uh, It'd be very interesting to see how the Angels uh, move on with the situation too because if they decide that we're just going to blow this thing up, start the rebuild, Kev, you already mentioned it, the, the possibility of not only them training Otani, but maybe Mike Trout gets brought into that situation as well. It'd be very hard for me to believe that the Angels would move on from Trout just because he's been their stalwart essentially for the last his whole career at 1819 yeah. he got drafted with Bryce I think or the year before Bryce or was it him and Strasburg I don't remember like all three of them came up around the same time and Strasburg's career is over Bryce Harper obviously has won a multitude of MVPs as well so it's just upsetting that they have not won at the highest level yet because Bryce left to Philly and then the Nationals win the MVP uh the, the, the World, World Series the following year and Mike Trout has not been healthy as at all in his career and the angels haven't been able to do anything anyway so it, it is kind of crazy that the angels legitimately had just a couple of years ago the best player in the mlb with mike trout and then a couple of years later you have probably the best player in the mlb with a completely different player in otani and it's crazy just the length of time from when otani first came into the league to where he was to where he is now and granted he had a pretty big run up in Japan. So it's like this guy was not a scrub this guy was, or a this, guy was this guy was known. This guy was not known to be like a scrub or anything like that. He was a well-renowned prospect coming out of Japan and he has just completely taken the MLB by storm and it's well deserved uh with all the accolades that he's gotten so far and the accolades he will probably continue to accrue over the next couple of years as long as his level of play stays the same. But be very interesting to see how this situation with Otani unfolds. Kev, when does the actual MLB trade deadline take place? When's the actual date for it? If I'm not mistaken, it Michelle, should be 
yeah, I think it's I think it's the first week of August because the All Star break just happened, and we're talking about deadline stuff now. I think it's August. August first. Yep. So, what is that? That is two and a half weeks from sixteen now. days away. So, or should I say seventeen? Because there's thirty one days in July. So. We got two and a half weeks to see how this thing unfolds. It'll heat up. There's a lot of names, especially like I said before, which is our next segment, ironically, with the Cardinals being big shoppers right now, big sellers, the Angels potentially being sellers. There's there's a lot of moving pieces right now in the MLB, so this is kind of perfect. So, Kyle, we already talked about it. The St. Louis Cardinals, playoff team last year, not much has changed. Had some big free agency splashes just a few years ago. It's some major names, like I said, Paul Goldschmidt, obviously Nolan Arenado, Albert Pujols and Yadier Molina retire. And then you go from competing for a World Series, not to say that they were favorites by any means, but competing for a World Series to then flop as hard as you possibly can this year. One of the worst teams in baseball. Last place in the NL Central at 38 and 52, you said? Yeah, they're in the last, they're in the last position in the NL Central. I got to get your thoughts. I know we're both not Cardinals fans and we're not in-depth with baseball as we used to be, but I mean from a drop-off as high as this has been from one year, we're not talking about consistency of just getting worse. We go from 90-plus wins to 38, and I, we're halfway through. I got to hear what your thoughts are on the Cardinals' collapse. Well, to me, the one thing that I look at with the Cardinals is their inability to pitch effectively. Kev, do you mind if I just go over some of the ERA averages when it comes to some of their pitchers? Because this kind of tells... Absolutely. This kind of tells the story when it comes to me about just their overall rotation. So I'm actually going to just go in order based off of the guys that have been pitching consistently in the starting rotation for the Cardinals. So we'll start with we'll start with Flaherty. So Flaherty, he has a if I have the ERA right, he has a 4.27 ERA. We got Mikolas, who's got a 4.23 ERA. We've got Jordan Montgomery, who's been one of their better pitchers this year, but he has an ERA above Former three. Yankee. Yeah, no. I think, Kevin, I think you're still a little bit uh, butthurt about the Yankees getting rid of him, if I little remember bit, correctly. A little bit. Bader has paid off, though. He's just not healthy. And then, you know, even when you look at some of the, the rotational guys that come in from the bullpen, Kev, a lot of these ERAs are in the fours. That's not going to be winning baseball. And granted, when it comes to... The Cardinals, like they have bats that could be able to put up runs consistently. You have Arenado, you have Goldschmidt, but when you're not getting the help from your pitching staff, it's going to put you behind the eight ball. And you know the one thing that has really surprised me about the Cardinals is just they just can't win consistently here. I mean, Kev, we're in the middle of July, and the Cardinals had the expectation of being a relatively solid team, not just in the NL Central, but throughout the National League, and they've just fallen completely on their face to the point where there's been reports about the Cardinals just completely jumping ship here and potentially selling off some players and some trades before the trade deadline takes place on August 1st. Kev, I actually have uh, one of the quotes from uh, one of the, uh, I think, I believe it's the general manager, from the Cardinals, and he's basically saying that we are going to be shopping players, you know, before the the trade line uh, trade deadline takes place on August first. So, overall, when it comes to the Cardinals, it's been a major disappointment this year. I, I remember a couple months ago we had talked about the Pirates having a really good start, 
and then they kind of fell back down to earth. But even when it comes to the Pittsburgh Pirates, they're in a better position in the NL Central than the Arizona Cardinals. I believe the Pirates have a 41-49 and record, and when it comes to the Cardinals, they're under 40 wins. So not only are they one of the worst teams in the NL, honestly, they're one of the worst teams in the in the major leagues. And it's just been a major disappointment to see a team that had aspirations of potentially making a pretty solid playoff run in this year's upcoming playoffs. And with the real possibility of them not only missing the playoffs entirely this year, but being one of the worst teams in the MLB. So we'll see how things transition. Now that we're out of the all-star break, we got the second half of the year. Maybe they can get on a run. Maybe they can turn some things around and hopefully they could get some better pitching. If they could turn around their pitching issues, which have been pretty apparent as far as I see it, you know, maybe they can generate some momentum and maybe try to get close to 500, but they're kept their 14 games under 500. So they got a lot of groundwork uh, to make up here. And, you know, we got the rest of July, August and September you legitimately only really have about two and a half months before the playoffs start. Is that enough time to turn it around in time? I doubt it. I just, I, I think there's too many obstacles set in front of them right now. And I think at this point, even if they were to have a somewhat relatively easy schedule from here on out, I don't know if it's enough to make up the ground that they've already lost based on the fact that they're essentially 90, 95 games into the season. So, We'll see how things play out, but I'm very op- I'm very pessimistic when it comes to what the Cardinals could do to potentially potentially make the playoffs here. And Kevin, I think there's a very real chance that with the way that the front office has been talking about the current state of affairs when it comes to just the organization from from a player perspective, I think some major changes are coming for the Cardinals' way within the next couple of weeks, and we'll see how things play out from there. I'll hit the nail on the head, man. When you talk about their pitching numbers, their hitting numbers, they're worlds apart. As statistically, statistically as it stands right now, the Cardinals are the seventh best team batting average wise. As a team, they're hitting 254. When it comes to pitching, their team ERA is on the opposite side. They're 25th at 455. Exactly coincides with what Kyle said. The Cardinals won 93 games last year, they only have 38. They're, I mean, they're losing games that they should should not be losing with the roster that they currently have assimilated, and it just it doesn't make sense when you talk about what they're able to do and put up runs. I mean, the game against who was it, Kyle? We sent I sent you that highlight. I think it was the White Sox, where the- they were up two runs in the bottom of the ninth, and an error screws them from the pitcher throwing just not even ninety feet, not even what's not even forty five feet from the pitcher's mound. He just Complete. It looked fake. It looked oh, like that he, was he, that was the Marlins game. The Marlins. It looked like he almost threw the game on purpose because it was just such a bad throw. Like it went miles over the first baseman. They needed one out, and they lost the game due to an error. Both runners from second and third came home, and it was over. That is what sums up the Cardinals' season. If you can have batting averages like they've had with their starting players, but the ERA behind it with your starting pitching barely anyone is above 500 on a win to loss ratio if i'm looking at this per, if i'm looking at this correctly i'm trying to figure out how in the world have you guys gone from what you were last year to what you are this year so between montgomery and flaherty they have 12 wins 
but they also have 12 losses that combined. Then you go and you get Mikolas? M-I-K... I think it's Mikolas. Mikolas. He's 5-5 and with a 4.23 ERA. Then Steven Matz is 0-7. And and then Jordan Hicks is 1-5. and We're talking about one win between two starting pitchers in the majors and 12 losses. (laughs) That's not helping anybody. So... The Cardinals got to get it together. Obviously, if they're going to be sellers at the deadline, then they need to start figuring out what they're going to do. Is Montgomery going to be one of the players off? Is Arenado, Goldschmidt? They got to go and empty out that capital, and then they got to go and just get prospects because, again, there's no reason to punish the players to play in a bad team when they're just not all on the same page. I don't have a lot more to say because Kyle was able to go into a lot more detail and pretty much said everything I was going to say. But overall, when you look at how the games have been, I just, I personally don't know how the Cardinals can turn this around without getting rid of players. And I, I don't mean turn it around in a good way. I mean, like, just playing for the future. Offload some contracts, get some prospects in return, and then the Cardinals pretty much rebuild right after Pujols and, 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 and Molina. I'm in pure shock that from a one-year difference, this team has plummeted into basically the dirt. Pujols and Molina weren't having the statistical greatest years in the world Yes, it was their last ride. Yes, Albert Pujols hit over 700 home runs. Yes, the Cardinals were in the playoffs. So you would have assumed, okay, they lost two future Hall of Famers, but they're still relevant with this lineup. And then they go and they just completely fall off the face of the earth. For my Cardinal friend fans like AJ and his girlfriend Taylor, I pray for you guys. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like the Yankees are the greatest team in baseball right now, but the Cardinals just look lost and there's not much else you can really say. Kev, imagine I had this been the Yankees. Oh, you wouldn't see me very often. That would be... I, I wouldn't be well. I think you would be up in the Bronx leading the uh, the gang of torches towards Yankee Stadium to go after Brian Cashman and Aaron Boone. It, 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 it would be an interesting situation if I was home. But yes, um, I concur with your statement. Nevertheless, um, Kyle, that, that about wraps up everything we have here. I mean, pushing time. I got to get up out of here really quick. So... Guys, we've said it a number of times. We're grateful for any support that we've been given on any platform, audio, YouTube, TikTok. I mean, we're just, we're doing what we can with the content that's available. Kyle and I talked about it right before we hit the record. It's try out That's an understatement. Kyle and I talked about it right before we hit the record button. You are never going to get forced content from us. You're never going to get a narrative that we're pushing because we just critiqued that at the beginning of the episode. We're going to talk about things that we find to be relevant that are actually meaningful topics. We're not just going to be like, well, uh, you know, I, I think I think Brandon Miller stubbed his toe in practice today. That that, that could affect the, the Hornets. Like that, that, that's, we're just not going to do that. So, again, however we're going to come about this, however the support has been coming, we appreciate it and we're grateful and uh, we'll, we'll just continue to post as we see fit. Yeah, exactly. And, and like Kev said, we just appreciate the support. Obviously, it's the middle of the summer, so I, I imagine most people are just busy just out and about doing things, and, and so are we. So, you know, obviously, we got things to do as well, but um, like Kev said, the content has just not really been out there for us. So I'm glad that we were able to get back, uh, sit down in front of the microphones and, and talk some sports for a little bit just because... Uh, I think really over the last like three weeks, I think we've only had about two or three episodes. So just kind of shows that there's not a lot of content out there, but nonetheless, when there is, we will talk about it. So 
just kind of keep that in mind for the next couple of weeks. Obviously, training camp for the NFL will start ramping up in the next two weeks, so we'll definitely have more content then. But it's basically going to be a holding pattern until then, so we'll just kind of wait and see. But like I say every time, you know, once again, thank you guys for tuning in, whether that's watching us on YouTube or listening to us on the audio platforms. We definitely appreciate the support. Um, just keep an eye out over the next couple of weeks. We will have content here and there, but it's going to be pretty sporadic until uh, the NFL training camp starts ramping up. But once again, thank you guys for tuning in. And honestly, we will see you guys when we see you next. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electric Cast production. Electric Cast. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, that's no, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid.